Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Alan Parker said, Sometimes, with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me David Wood. Hello, David. Hello, Stuart. Death to the Oppressor. Mm, the Resistance. Liberty. Uh, those are three, three of my favourite, three of my favourite words, three of my favourite lines spoken in uh, in the film "If David," being a star of "If," uh, and has now written a book called "Filming If," which is what we've come together to talk about. Um, for the, for the, for those that listening that may not have seen it, do you, do you want to give a, like a brief synopsis as to what "If" is from your point Ooh. of view? Uh, yes, I suppose on the surface, it's um, a film about a public school mm-hmm. and uh, the the general running of the public school. And uh, I think that Lindsay Anderson, the great director who um, who directed this film, I think what he was doing was using it as a, a kind of um, metaphor, if you like, for the state of Britain. Um, and the uh, the rule of the establishment and the oppressed young people within the school and the various hierarchies of prefects and fags, as well as the uh, the ones in the middle, as it were. Mm. And uh, three particular boys, uh, rebels, if you like, uh, decide to uh, knock the system. And uh, in a, a combination, I suppose, of reality and fantasy, and you never quite know where you are. He's very clever about that. Mm. Um, you get to a stage where the three boys, um, plus a girl that they have met, and also a younger boy uh, with whom one of the three boys is having a, a kind of affair, uh, they end up uh, firing uh, guns and uh, uh, with ammunition, real ammunition, it seems, from the roof of the chapel of the school uh, at all the parents and teachers and young uh, students who are attending the Founders' Day. And uh, there's a sort of bloodbath. But um, having said that, uh, one is never quite sure where the reality uh, stops and the fantasy sets in. And I think that that's one reason why... Um, there, there's the big question mark and also the title of the film, if dot, 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 could this happen? And of course, it also reflects the, the Kipling poem, um, you'll be a man, my son. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from my point of view as, uh, one of the three boys in the film, um, it was quite interesting, I think, because we didn't get involved in the politics of it. And I think it can be, um, looked at as a very political comment. Uh, but obviously, as a young, impressionable actor uh, in his first film, one was far more concerned with the sort of day-to-day activity and, and uh, getting through some of the hazards and the awful things that one was asked to do within the course of the filming. Uh, and that was what I really wanted to write a book about. There are lots of, um, lots of books written uh, or sections of books written about if um, looking at it analytically mm. uh, from the point of view of an academic. Um, I didn't want to do that. Indeed, I couldn't do that. I had to look at it very personally uh, from the point of view of the the um, actor actually doing the job. Yeah, so, so I'll, we'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to give, sort of give a brief sort of context for people listening. So 1968, you've, you've Harold Wilson's Prime Minister for the Labour Party. That's, they're, yeah. they're in charge of Britain, as it were, at that time. 
Yeah. Around the world, you've got the Black Panther movement. You've got protests against the Tet Offensive in in uh, in Vietnam. Students yeah. and wildcat strikes in France literally happened. I think three weeks after you finished filming. Mm. Um, you've got the beginnings of the troubles in Ireland. Uh, guerrilla warfare against Brazilian dictatorship. I mean, it's it's a it's a film that is like a massive mirror to the world as well. Yet, when, when I think it, that's. I think that's right. I think that there was, there's one little story I'll tell you, which was mm. that um, in the last week, I think it was, of filming, so we're talking probably about April 68, mm. uh, and we were doing the study scenes, uh, which were being filmed at Merton Park Studios, uh, some of the few scenes that were not done actually within a, a real school. Mm-hmm. And um, one morning, the three of us came in, and Lindsay was waving a newspaper. I think it was probably the Daily Telegraph. Uh, but he was waving a newspaper which had headlines and it was all about the Paris student riots, mm. which had just taken place. And, uh, <clears throat> and it was an interesting moment because it was as though he was saying that what he was doing was, if you like, pro- prophetic. Mm. Um, at the same time, however, these things were going on at the same time as we were still making the film. Um, and one felt that maybe he wished that he'd done the film six months earlier. And so <laughs> he just said, oh, I prophesied these riots. On the other hand, I don't think he would have wanted to have been made responsible, as it were, <laughs> or to, for inspiring uh, the riots. I think uh, you've just used the word mirror, which I think is a very good word. Yeah. Um, and I think he was reflecting a lot of what was going on in the world um, in, in quite a, a personal way. Uh, and although the film is very, <clears throat> very British in the sense that uh, a school like the one portrayed in the film is probably not <laughs> mirrored anywhere else in the world, nevertheless, the um, the attitudes within it and the hierarchies within it and the um, uh, the, the the sense of um, uh, 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 of having to play the game uh, and and also the sense of honour in a funny sort of way. I do think that that uh, is international, um, and I think that explains one reason anyway why the film was very popular in say Japan. Mm. Um, where I don't think one was in a situation of um, rebellion, but the people there, they have this very high sense of, of, of honour. Um, you know, Les Miserables, the show, very popular in Japan, and there's an element of honour in that when the Javert kills himself and so on. And uh, uh, it, is, it is interesting that everybody sees it from their own point of view, I suppose, but it is universal. No, and, 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 and also there was, it's, it's interesting when you also look at other things that were happening at the same time. So you've got the Beatles' White Album, you've got yeah. Vegas Banquet, The Stones, Astral Weeks, Odyssey and Oracle of Zombies, you know. Art was getting more and more sort of, um, what do you call it, um, ex- uh, on the edge and not easy to understand. It was, it was sort of, it was yeah. exploring the individual, as it were, which obviously is a breakdown in terms of discipline and order. Uh, and then on the film front, you've got Witchfinder General, you've got um, you've got Planet of the Apes, you've got Barbarella, you've even got Night of the Living Dead, uh, all all happening around the same time. So you can you kind of sense that obviously the, the film you're in is 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 feeling all that groundswell of uh, sort of I guess cultural revolt as well as political revolt. I think that's right. <clears throat> I think that um, there is a, a a sort of progression from the slightly earlier. 60s films, the Woodfall films, The Loneliness of the Long Distant Runner, Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, um, and indeed Lindsay Anderson's own This Sporting Life. Mm. Um, and, 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 and also, if you think of the Royal Court Theatre as well, you've had 56 Look Back in Anger. Now, that it's quite interesting that that was 12 years before, but Lindsay had worked with all these people at the Royal Court, um, Tony Richardson and Carol Rice, who of course directed Saturday Night Sunday Morning, and um, uh, in, in a way, I think it's um, it, 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 is, it is part of the pattern. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a, it's very different from those uh, Woodfall films. Uh, it has a, um, a a character all of its own. Now, now it was it was Lindy Anderson's second feature. 
but it, but it was your first on screen role, is that correct? Right? Yeah. So, so what do you remember about getting cast in the movie? Because obviously, it's is is was it your driving ambition, or was this something you you, you, you well? Um, no, I was um, I was twenty four at the time. Malcolm McDowell and I were the oldest uh, boys, if you like, on the yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, at 24, we were older than the prefects. Uh, <laughs> in, indeed, uh, Hugh Thomas, who played Denson, who's the sort of Himmler-like glasses one, yeah. uh, he, he was only 17 at the time, and he was on his way to Oxford, and I had left Oxford nearly two years earlier. Uh, so <clears throat> we were older, and that meant that uh, when the call came, I was in rep. Hmm. And I was at the Swan Theatre Worcester yeah. uh, doing two two weekly rep. And uh, one of the things I'd always believed uh, was that I was in a business. I was in a business called show business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that meant that uh, in order to get work, I couldn't just rely on the phone ringing uh, <laughs> or even an agent ringing. Yeah. Uh, so every day I used to write five letters um, to casting directors, to theatre directors, um, and there were, there's a little book contacts and I used to go through it religiously crossing yeah. them off. And, uh, so 35 letters a week used to go off and, uh, with a CV. And in those days, of course, no computer. Uh, and there was a sort of Romeo machine where you could roll off your CV and a little photo and a handwritten letter. Yeah. And the idea was that if I could get one job, um, out of it, it would have paid for itself and it would obviously be a good thing. And uh, one of these uh, letters went to Miriam Brickman. Uh, little did I know that she was the doyen of uh, casting directors at the yeah. time. And uh, so the call came through. Would I go for an audition for a film called Crusaders? Oh. And at the time I was rehearsing a play called Little Malcolm and His Struggle Against the Eunuchs by David Halliwell, which is a five-hander. And the director didn't want me to go to this audition because there was so little time to rehearse it. But eventually he said, OK. So uh, I set off very early on the train um, from Worcester. And uh, and the audition was at the Garrick Theatre on the set of Let Sleeping Wives Lie, which was a Brian Ricks farce with a circular bed in the middle. <laughs> and, uh, and there were all these young people uh, like me, some of whom were actors uh, some of whom had answered adverts in the, the Times and maybe other newspapers um, looking for um, young people. But uh, I think we were mainly the, the, the actors on that particular day. Yeah. And um, uh, the, 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 the first memorable thing was that as I came up the uh, steps from the tube um, rather enthusiastically, I tripped and split my trousers right from the, uh, oh <laughs> the crutch down to the knee and uh, on one leg. And so my first words to Lindsay Anderson as I shook his hand was, I've split my trousers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I got a smile, so that was good. Um, and about five of us, I suppose it would have been, sat in a sort of semicircle and read um, a scene. And uh, that was fine. And at the end of it, everybody got up to go. And uh, a nice man who I later discovered was called Neville Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember him particularly because uh, a few years later, Neville Thompson was responsible for me writing the screenplay of Swallows and Amazons, uh, the first, you know, the, the Virginia McKenna um, Swallows and Amazons, um, which was my first screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he knew that I did uh, work in, in the area of children's theatre and thought right. that I might be good for writing that. Anyway, that's uh, jumping. But um, Neville came up to me and he said, um, what time's your train back to Worcester? And I told him, and he said, well, he said that somebody hasn't turned up. He said, I wonder if you'd stay on and read in for somebody else um, uh, because you don't have to get your train yet. And I said, yes. And uh, and that happened about four times. So I read with about five different groups of people Mm. uh, without realizing at all that they were interested in me and that this was a, a ruse to make me stay and to learn more about me. Lindsay came up in a, a, a sort of lull when they were getting rid of some people and bringing other people in. Uh, and uh, he asked me a few questions. Um, he knew I'd been to Oxford and of course he had as well. Right. Uh, but he, he, I remember he said, what did I understand by the term epic? Uh, and I, I bluffed my way through about epic poems and I talked about 
Brecht a little, probably uh, with total ignorance. But anyway, um, uh, we had a little conversation. And um, then eventually I was released. I went back to Paddington, got on the train, and, and that was that. But uh, then I heard that um, I, I, I might have got a, a small part. And uh, there was this request for me to go back for another audition. Right. And the director this time said, no, you can't go. Um, and so I managed, I had no idea how, to get Lindsay Anderson's home number. Uh, God knows how I did, did that. And from backstage at the theatre, I managed to ring him and speak to him and say, look, uh, the fact that I can't come to this second audition, you know, please don't think I'm not interested. I am, but rehearsing. And he said, no, no, don't worry. He said, I don't think it'll make any difference. That's all right. And then the next thing was a, a call came through. Would I go up on a Sunday yeah. uh, in order to model the costume? And the costumes for us boys at school was rather like the Eton costume, even now, the frock coat and the bow tie. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, well, why can't they ask somebody who lives in London? This is a bit silly. But I thought, well, I suppose I'd better go. But again, I had no idea that there was any motive behind this request. So I went up and there was a little place in Soho um, in the basement. And I put this costume on and uh, there was the camera and they were testing the colours, apparently. And Lindsay started saying things like, uh, look at the camera as though you hate it. <laughs> uh, look at it as though you quite like it. And uh, again, I had no idea that this was my screen test, uh, but it must have been. And then a little later on, of course, I learned that I got the role of Johnny. I hadn't even seen a script by then, so I couldn't celebrate because I didn't know who the hell Johnny was. Right. But uh, but that that was how I got it. And uh, a bit long-winded an answer, but I always remember that bit quite well. <laughs> no, I can imagine. I can imagine. No, it's, it's it's a hell of a tell. I mean, and then and do, and to what did you say to your theatre director when you were cast? Well, um, I didn't say much to him, I don't think. But it was interesting that. One of the actors in the company mm -hmm. called Jeffrey Beavers, um, he, um, the first audition, uh, I came back and I was in the wings with him just before the start of the show mm -hmm. uh, that night. And he said, where have you been? And I said, oh, I've been to this audition. You know, what, what for? And I told him and he said, oh, he said, yes. He said, I know. I know all about that. He said, I was at school with David Sherwin and John Howlett. Uh, and they were the two that had written the original story upon which Crusaders uh, and then If was based. And, of course, David Sherwin became the screenwriter. He said, I was at school with them at Tunbridge, he said, and uh, and they were sort of working on this story when I was there. He said, I think I may be one of the characters in the film. Wow. That was an extraordinary coincidence. Yeah. And, um, he was a bit older than me. I think he was a bit miffed that he wasn't asked to audition, actually. <laughs> but uh, when I later was able to say to him, um, Johnny, uh, and as I say, I hadn't seen a script, um, he said, oh, he said, I think that's very good. He said, because, um, I think Johnny is based on John Howlett, you know, who's one of the two writers. So he said, it must be a very good part. Um, as indeed it, um, it turned out to be. But, um, uh, then of course, um, when filming started, uh, which would have been, I suppose, in March, uh, I was still, I was, I was in Look Back in Anger, funnily enough, at Worcester, mm. at the theatre, and, uh, so um, I was I was doubling. So I was filming at Cheltenham during the day and then uh, being driven back to Worcester, which luckily wasn't that far um, to do the play in the evening. And the, the, the wardrobe mistress of the film said, would I wear the costume um, all the time as much as possible to sort of wear it in? Of course, and yeah. so I used to arrive back at Worcester in my school uniform, uh, in my frock coat and everything. And, and of course, uh, very few people ever saw this. I used to hope there'd be crowds waiting to welcome me back in my school uniform. <laughs> think, oh, look at him! But they never did. What? But, what? Uh, what? What are your? Um, what? What are some of your standout mo memories of of uh, the personalities involved in the film, and in particular, you know, your fellow crusaders like uh, like Malcolm McDowell and, and Richard Warwick? Well, we first met um, at a, a, a. We were taken to lunch in London, um, and uh, Malcolm uh, th th was uh, the sort of bravado one. He's he's very similar to the way he is in the film in some ways. Um, devil may care, um, but very affable, and I liked him very much. Richard Warwick 
uh, was very different. Uh, I, I, I was very fond of them both in, in different ways. Richard um, was uh, a totally unlikely actor in a way, except that he had he was so good looking and he had that wonderful crinkly smile. Mm. Uh, but uh, you didn't feel that he was ambitious in the same way that Malcolm was. Malcolm was very ambitious and uh, and jumping on. I mean, after the film was made, um, Malcolm refused any work of any kind, any theatre work or television work, because he was determined to be a movie star. And he said, no, until I get that movie break following If, I'm not going to accept any work. Well, of course, the film didn't come out for about six months or more after we'd made it. Um, uh, but um, he, true to his word, he stuck it out. And I think he was starving in a flat in the North End Road. Uh, but he did get Figures in the Landscape, um, which uh, was the um, film he did with Robert Shaw. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and that led to uh, Clockwork Orange. Well, that, I don't know that that did, but um, Kubrick well, I, think, I, think, I think Kubrick saw uh, If about five That's times. Right. That, yeah. that, is, that is what happened. But um, meanwhile, um, Malcolm had done uh, Figures in the Landscape. Uh, so uh, uh, Richard, on the other hand, was very happy-go-lucky and, um, uh, and, and very, uh, very warm-hearted. Uh, but the three of us, we were very different, but we did get on extremely well. Um, and when we arrived in Cheltenham at the beginning of shooting, Lindsay was determined that um, we would get to know each other before we did the major scenes in the study. So. He made us do all sorts of shots. You know, when the um, uh, the CCF, the, uh, the in army uniform, they all yeah. go off on parade and so on. Well, we were in that. We were actually marching in that. But you don't see us. There oh, are no right. shots wow. of us at all. Um, but he did that in order for us to just be able to talk to each other and get to know each other. And we were put in a guest house in Cheltenham, the three of us. Um, and uh, this was a, a different guest house from the one in which the prefects stayed. And um, the, the theory was that we were not to meet the prefects. We were not to get to know them. We wanted he wanted there to be an aloofness between us. Mm. Uh, but of course, as soon as we knew that, we went straight over to meet them and have a drink. So <laughs> we, we never told him that. Uh, no, we all got on terribly well. Well, what, what, what uh, was what was uh, Lindy and Lindsay Anderson like as 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 your director? You know, and what was what was his relationship like with 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 you as as one of his actors? Well, he was he was very warm. Um, uh, he uh, you you didn't feel I didn't feel that one really got to know him, hmm. um, but uh, he was he was very considerate. Uh, he was the type of person who um stood no nonsense uh and he would uh he would put on this persona of being a little bit um uh fierce uh, yeah. and he'd shout at us sometimes if we were corpsing or giggling at the wrong moment you know he'd yeah. say shut up you're meant to be professional and all that sort of thing um but the 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 sort of thing I remember particularly, and he was, I mean, he was, obviously he was, he was a genius in many, many ways, um, uh, I think. Um, but the, the, on a personal level, there was a moment, um, quite near the beginning of filming when we started doing shots where we were, um, doing more than just <laughs> background action. Yeah. Um, and, um, after a couple of days, he came up to me and he said, um, oh, he said, David he said, he said, what's the matter with you? He said, why do you go around with this long face? He said, uh, he said, you seem very worried about something. He said, oh, dear. He said, you know, why, what's the matter? Cheer up. And, um, and I said, well, I, I said, when we finish a take, uh, you never actually say that it was good. Um, you just say on and, and everybody goes off and on because I said, I know, you know, it's time and everything, but uh, I never quite know whether I'm doing what you want. And um, and it was true. He 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 never said well done. Uh, he never said thank you. Uh, it was just uh, he you do a couple of takes and right on boom. And um, so he he looked at me in the eye and he was very very angry. At least he acted being very angry. Mm. And he said, "Listen," he said, "I took six months to cast this film," and I walked away. <laughs> and of course, what that was was a huge um, expression of confidence in me 
And it was a great booster because I realized that what he was saying was, you know, uh, I cast the film. I took great care in casting the film. You were who I wanted. You are doing what I want. If you are not doing what I want, I will tell you. Um, you know, just get on with it. And, so, so, he was kind, so he was kind of saying to you, if I'm not telling you off, then actually what I'm saying with my silence is well done. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely that. And that was a huge moment for me. And yeah. from then on, I sort of relaxed really and enjoyed it. So in that, in that way then, so with, with, with that and obviously doing the, uh, the backwards and forwards as well, what, what, yeah. what became for you the kind of day-to-day challenges of, of the shoot and any particular, any particular scenes that, 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 uh, that spring to ah. mind? Um, well, I suppose uh, there, are, well, there are three major ones. I am a, a very um, unathletic sort of person. I always hated games and sports at school. Mm. And, uh, and it was always ironic in my acting career, such as it was for some years where my, the, until the writing sort of took over, yeah. um, that I would get the parts. You know, I, was, I played a Welsh rugby player in in a, a big television thing, and the major role, and I had to play with um, 29 real uh, rugby players in Wales, <laughs> and I was knocked out twice, and you know, nightmare. <laughs> well, as far as if was concerned, there were three uh, sequences which were uh, problematic. Um, the first, of course, was the shower scene where we, the three of us, have a cold shower, mm-hmm. and um, and this involved. Um, being in a real cold shower, although uh, if I'm honest, Richard and I were uh, were given showers that um, were not freezing cold, but cold enough not to have any steam coming off, you see. Um, so it wasn't too bad. But Malcolm, the crew, decided uh, with their tongues in their cheeks that Malcolm should suffer a bit. And so he had a real very, very cold shower. And I think it shows. You can see it. And he's really pissed off. Um, but but um, uh, it went on all day. We were in these um, open air showers at a school um, and I'd never really seen open air showers apart from, I suppose, at a swimming pool. Yeah. Uh, but um, it, it, it was very unpleasant because every time you got wet and then you came out and there was an industrial heater uh, and you were shoved under that to dry your hair and then pushed back in. Um, and uh, And you had to do it so many times because Lindsay... Um, knew that there would be censorship problems. And so there were some sh- shots um, uh, taken with genitalia, some without, <laughs> some with towels. Um, there, there was every combination so that uh, whatever happened, he would have the scene. Uh, so it went on and on and on. So that was the first one. The second one, I suppose, was um, the shooting from the roof. Um, the, 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 I'd never fired a gun before. I'd never handled a gun before. And this nice man, uh, ex-army man, came up with a stem gun and <laughs> shoved this into my hand and said, uh, right, this is the trigger. You pull that. He said, uh, oh, he said, right, there's a little hole just there. He said, um, uh, be very careful. Don't put your finger in that hole. So I said, why not? So he said, you'll lose it if you do. Uh, so I said, well, I wonder if I could put a piece of cello tape over that hole. So he said, no, no, no. Um, so uh, that, that was that. But then when I was up on top of the roof, I knew I could tell that there was this curved, um, uh, not curved, a sort of sloping bit. Hmm. And I knew Lindsay would want me to come over the slope and appear and run down, uh, hurtle myself against the battlements, as it were, and then fire the gun. And, uh, and that was a bit terrifying. But uh, uh, and that was exactly what he wanted me to do. Um, but um, then, of course, when I did it for the first time, um, there was this enormous um, sort of explosion in my right ear. Uh, nobody had warned me a bit, a bit loud. I suppose I should have known. So I had no cotton wool. I had no nothing in my ear at all. Um, and um, and in fact, I'm still partially deaf in that ear. Fifty years later, uh, it took out the sort of top register. So. Female voices are difficult to hear on that side. And if I sleep on the wrong side, uh, I can't hear the alarm clock. Um, but uh, that was one of the hazards of filming uh, well, in those days. Yeah. Uh, then the third one was the motorbike sequence. Um, and uh, I knew that I was going to be on the back of the motorbike, so I had no control at all. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm, Malcolm had never driven a motorbike before, and he learnt on a little pop-pop, the, the stunt uh, arranger Peter Brown taught him on a little pop pop um, when we were at Cheltenham, but of course 
the scene uh, where we're on the motorbike and me with my Isadora Duncan scarf with no crash helmet, the bike I don't think was taxed or licensed and I think we were on a public road. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but but um, the stunt arranger uh, I overheard saying to Michael Medwin, the producer, on the day we did this, uh, and mind you, we were doing it on the very last day of shooting, so there, uh, there was a film in the can, even if we were killed on the motorbike. Uh, and Peter Graham said to Michael Medwin, I take no responsibility whatsoever for this shot um, because uh, it was coming at speed and going round a roundabout and then whoomph up the other side. Uh, and we did it. Um, and uh, I clung on to Malcolm, who, who was very good, actually, because he would sort of look back and say out of the corner of his mouth, you're all right, you're all right. <laughs> and I'd say, yeah, you, you yeah. wouldn't, you really wouldn't believe it watching it. It feels, it feels like that glory. Well, obviously it is a glorious moment of escape from freedom, freedom. Yeah. From the, and it's, and, it, and I guess it's, it's the only real major clue, especially when um, Christine Noonan's character joins you. Yes. Of, of whether or not what we're watching is real or a fiction, as it were, yes. within, within the realms, obviously of a fictional story. Yeah, um, yeah. It's the first real clue, isn't it? That the if is a question as much as a statement. I think that's right. I think that's right. And um, uh, no, obviously, freedom was was the key and we had to act that. Um, but uh, but being on the back of that 800 cc or whatever it was, it was was uh, a bit terrifying. And of course, once we'd done it, um, Lindsay came up and we sort of said, how was that? And he said, oh, yes, he said, would you do it again? He said, just do it faster, do it faster. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we did. But um, no, all was well uh, in, in the end. I have to admit that the shot where you see um, Christine standing between us and driving around the field, yeah. Um, that wasn't me on the back because it was felt that it would be safer for Christine, um, not me, but for Christine, if they had somebody who was actually used to <laughs> being on the motorbike to, uh, to hold on to her, as it were, and make sure she didn't fall off. Now, a little bit of a geeky question from, from me here in terms of detail. When you're in, when you're in the cafe scene yeah. and the camera stays on you for a moment while, um, while Malcolm's sort of playing with Christine, yeah, you, or he's gone to the jukebox. I think it might be you. You, you, you sort of smile like I guess in in, in recognition of like the, the the freedom you're obviously both feeling. And then you place the the the, the, the rather practically put the saucer over the coffee. Was that was that something that you were directed to do, or was that a choice you made in 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 the moment? Well, um, I'm glad you asked me that one. Uh, <laughs> Lindsay didn't very often invite ideas mm -hmm. um, and indeed I remember him saying to um, Robin Asquith I think it was uh, the, the, the story was anyway that um, uh, Robin Asquith said at one point Lindsay I've had an idea and, uh, and Lindsay <laughs> Anderson said oh Robin you don't know how much that makes my heart sink <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that moment uh, I have to say was mine um, right they, they, they said, uh, Lindsay said, right, we said, I want to do a close-up. He said, I just want you to look up um, and see them and um, slightly quizzical maybe look um, at them. Uh, and, uh, and, I, I, and I don't know why or I, I said, oh, well, maybe uh, I could put the saucer on top of his cup. Because, and he said, why? So I said, well, to stop, stop his coffee getting cold. Um, I mean, a funny sort of way. I mean, some, somebody asked me this the other day. They said, was, was that you, David Wood, um, being sort of sensitive towards, uh, <laughs> Malcolm's coffee? Uh, or was it a character thing? And I, I would like to think that it's a bit of both because I realized early on that my character of the three of them was the sort of slightly sensitive one. Hmm. Um, there are just a couple of lines. There's the, the cancer line about, um, his mother dying of cancer, yeah, yeah, yeah. which one had to do seriously. You know, one couldn't uh, make a joke of that. Um, and uh, and I think that he is very much somebody who is willing to be led. Uh, he would never have been the leader. And so Mick uh, has him as a sort of second in command or whatever. Um, and I think he just goes along with everything. But at the same time, I just feel that... Um, uh, you know, he sort of cared in a way. And then, no, no, no. That's that's why I asked. It's it's, 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 yeah. a, real, it's a real moment where you 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 feel like it, it illustrates their relationship, even though it's just a sort of simple gesture. 
Yes, it, it, well, it, I hope I hope that's right. But as I say, it was it was my idea. But Lindsay did immediately say, "Yeah, fine, you know, do that." Well, um, it gave me something to do too, because otherwise it would have just been a look, and um, and I, I I felt I wanted to use a prop or something. <laughs> Indeed. Well, look, you you you've mentioned it's, it's it is the fiftieth anniversary of it. Yeah. And yeah. looking at it with twenty first century's twenty first century eyes, we're um, we're able to sort of. Uh, enjoy the, the the satire and the serious points and and the and the dark comedy but mm. um when it when it showed at the Cannes film festival the british ambassador wasn't quite so generous with his <laughs> uh, this is an insult to the nation which mm. i think would have been music to lindsay anderson's ears um, oh yes um, oh yes no, that would have been uh, that would have been um uh, a, a, a wonderful comment as far as Lindsay was concerned. At the same time, though, you see, I think Lindsay had this dual thing. I think he very much wanted to be recognised. I think he very much wanted people to um, to see that what he was doing was uh, was was not only good but special and important. Mm. Um, and and yet, one would feel that you know, if somebody actually said to him, you know, what a brilliant thing you're doing, he would have probably poo pooed them. Um, you, you could never get it quite right, I think. Um, his, um, he, he didn't want to be popular or populist. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I think inside, I think he'd be quite flattered. I mean, he sent me a, a, a postcard from Cannes and I've reproduced it. Well, I've, I've, it's in, it's in the book. Oh, yeah. And, um, uh, it's quite interesting. He says, Love from Can, Showbiz and Sunshine, what a disgusting mixture, exclamation <laughs> mark. But then I'm not unbiased, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> well, you see, I have a feeling that he really rather enjoyed it. I mean, he, he was, he, he, it was as though he was saying, you know, all this rubbish going on, you know, in the sunshine, all the can, what a load of uh, hokum and how stupid. But in fact, I think, he he rather enjoyed it in a way, and he must have been happy to have won. Uh, I mean, there are many stories you may know whereby uh, it didn't win easily. I think there were two films which um, were ahead of it, as it were, and mm-hmm. the judges were arguing about those two, uh, and then to um, uh, to uh, cut through the deadlock, uh, somebody said, "Oh well, why don't we give it to if?" Wow. <laughs> and so they did. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a strange thing that um, uh, it may never have been given a proper airing, a proper premiere, hmm. uh, unless Barbarella had failed. I mean, apparently um, it was the reason we opened near Christmas time uh, in London was because Barbarella was not doing at all well and they needed something to plug the gap. So um, there are a certain amount of um, lucky things there. Uh, but I talking wonder. about can, I mean, I, the, the sad thing was, from our point of view, um, Richard Warwick and I were not invited to can, and uh, Christine as well, I felt, should have been invited. But having said that, of course, nobody knew that we were going to win. Mm. But um, a few a few weeks after can, Richard and I met. Um, we met in a friend's flat overlooking Hyde Park, and it was on the day of the Rolling Stones Hyde Park concert, the famous one. Wow. <laughs> And uh, um, and we actually went out to try and see them, and we could hear the thump 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 of Charlie Watts banging his drums, but we couldn't see a damn thing. Uh, but uh, on that day, what we mainly talked about was obviously the success of If, but uh, the fact that we were a bit miffed that we hadn't been invited to. Uh, to was to was there was there a sense of the of the criticism beyond the ambassador saying it was an insult to nation? Was was I mean was the Telegraph and was the the Mail or the Times sort of echoing that sentiment or were or were the arts critics winning the argument that this was an important film? Well, I, um, I, I can't really answer that because what, all I know is, is that the reviews when the film finally came out mm. um, were really, really quite good. Um, mm. uh, and um, uh, and even uh, the New Statesman and uh, where Lindsay had 
said at one point, um, quoting them as being the ones who would hate it. In fact, John Coleman in the New Statesman said it was Lindsay's best film um, and uh, and was very complimentary. But uh, as far as Cannes is concerned, which is, of course, slightly different because the film didn't come out here mm. until that bit later. So I don't know. Um, but I would have thought, oh, well, I, I, I don't know. If, uh, and there's, I, there's, I don't... there's interesting parallels, though. I mean, though a totally different subject to, you know, 2016 and Ken yeah. Loach wins the Palme d'Or with I, Daniel Blake. And almost like an echo of the British ambassador getting offended by if you have yes. the Minister for the Arts sort of lambasting the film as not being, you know, an accurate representation of Britain. Um, yes. Well, I suppose that um, in, in that situation... Um, the uh, the establishment figure of the Minister of the Arts, as it were, has to be careful um, because although he may have thought it was a wonderful film, nevertheless, if he says that he thought it was a wonderful film, does that mean to say he is supporting every um, uh, sentiment within it? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, I can see from their point of view. Um, I mean, it was interesting to me that um, uh, David Cameron at one point said that If was his favourite film. Um, and now one imagines maybe he saw that when he was at public school. I don't know. I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. actually worked out the ages. Um, but would he have said that if he was minister for the arts? No, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's, it's still an interesting testament, isn't it? To you know, for, for all you know, fifty years or so between each film, but still the power of a movie to yes. to upset and have a have a real message to it as well as 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 much that is as much its art as anything else that its message is yes. powerful i think well i think you're right and i think that um in a way it's a huge compliment to the film mm. uh that people are made to care enough mm. uh to criticize it um and uh and to, and to feel that it's important and i think that um uh, the, the the arts world should always celebrate, really, when there is something which um, uh, becomes much wider than just the uh, apparently slightly elite world in which the arts um, exist. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, you think of Romans in Britain, the play, the Howard Brenton play, and the fact that that was a huge story um, hitting the headlines generally rather than just in the arts pages. Now, what also makes If, I think, stand the test of time as, as, as an important film is that because it has that, that question over it about whether this is a fairy tale or a, or a real revenge story, as it were, yeah, yeah. Um, means that it, it hasn't dated as, as, as severely as 50 years might make a film date. It, I agree with you. I hadn't seen it for a while, um, uh, and I, I've seen it twice in the last week. Mm, um, yeah. On big screens, um, it was the the main opening film of the South End Film Festival, which was the official fiftieth uh, anniversary screening. But then it was uh, at uh, the BFI um, last week, and it was uh, in NF um, NFT One, which is the the, the big big yeah, screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and I have to say, I mean, you know, it it. it it was a good print too. I was very impressed by the print, um, and I I don't feel it's dated. Um, uh, it must have dated in some ways. But Lindsay himself, there was there was one day when uh, in in that little lull when you you've you've set a scene, you've blocked a scene, mm. and they come in and they light it, and uh, there's always a, a moment of hesitation. Well, now if you're in a big movie, you might have a stand-in who comes in and takes your place. Um, in order to be lit while you go off and have a cup of tea or something and then come back. Well, we didn't have stand-ins on if at all. And uh, so we were just hanging around and they lit around us. But Lindsay used to talk to us a bit. And on this particular occasion, he said to us, but also to the to the world, uh, he said, my films never date, he said, <laughs> uh, apart from the odd skirt length. <laughs> uh, which I thought was lovely, and he said, "I'll prove it." He said, um, "Tonight," he said, um, "or tomorrow night, we'll we'll have a showing of this sporting life uh, after rushes." And rushes were taking place at the Odeon Cheltenham, mm. and uh, so they got permission. I mean, it was very late at night. We were, we watched this sporting life, and um, 
uh, and uh, I think it's true that he's more interested in people and situations and saying things, you know, than um, uh, the, 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 so that the, the film perhaps doesn't date as much. But uh, also, I do think he was very clever in choosing the school uniform he did, mm. because, of course, Eaton's, they still wear a uniform like that. And, uh, and, and we're sort of used to seeing pictures of people. And uh, so visually within the school, um, uh, it, it, it maybe um, looks as though it could have been filmed yesterday. But, no, um, no, totally. I mean, and, and also the one thing that I think I think what's interesting for me to reflect on is, I mean, I never went to public school. It's not something that I can directly relate to. I mean, at university, I met people that had, so I kind of get a sense yeah. of, um, you know, I had my stereotypical view of what it might be like, and I can tell from even I mean, I'm talking about early nineties when I was at university, and even by then, talking to people that have been to like Marlborough or um, Harrow, you know, the, yeah. the kind of brutality of of uh, public school that, that Lindsay's commenting on with the film had kind yeah. of dissipated, I suppose it's safe, safe to say. It wasn't the same kind of um, brutal, harsh reality of, you know, you're young, mm. therefore you'll be my my fag or my scum, as, as they mm. call them in, 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 in If. Um, and... Um, but I think the other thing, though, that, that, that the film comments on is the is maybe the inequ the, the wider inequities of British society, which yeah. that hasn't changed. While we might well have had a revolution culturally speaking, some things haven't changed. The importance of public school to getting on in life is still there, isn't it? To this day, that that hasn't changed at all. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. Uh, I didn't go to public school either. Mm. Um, I had been to a, a, a prep school, not as a boarder, but I had for a few years been to a prep school and there was a, um, a boarding house at this prep school. And so um, I knew I'd heard about things. And so there were various things to do with bullying and, and matrons and all sorts yeah. of things that were not a surprise to me. Um, and uh, uh, but no, I think you're right in the sense that um, the, the whole nature of privilege and of course, the headmaster has the speech all about privilege and indeed General Denson in, in the Founders Day speech. Um, and uh, it, I, I think it probably is true. And I know, too, from my point of view, of having been to Oxford, um, the, 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 the network of contacts that you um, manage to uh, set up, as it were, without realising it when you're there, um, similar to perhaps to being in a public school, um, is something that you almost, well, you use for the rest of your life, you know. No, 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 um, it's, and, it's, and not, it's not a crime. It's, it's just interesting that, that, that the film comments on it. And I think that the, mm. I think maybe one of the things that's actually got lost in, in, in the past of time that, that, all right, you had, you had this absolute privilege, but there was a, a kind of, I guess it's the, the difference between a kind of one nation Toryism and what we have now as kind of neoliberalism, whereby yeah, yeah. that message of those who are given the most also have the most to give. Yeah. It's maybe been lost a bit over the last 50 years that those, yeah. who, those who have given the most just do what they like. It's maybe <laughs> where we're at now compared to then. Does that, does that make sense as a comparison? I think to a certain extent it does. Yes. I think, um, uh, I, I, I think that's, it's always been there, but I mean, one, t one tends to think more about, um, I mean, Thatcherism and, uh, mm. consumerism and, and uh, capitalism and all the rest of it. Um, and I think it, it got to the stage where people just did what they like, as you say, mm. um, and that there wasn't a sort of moral compass or a humanitarian compass. But, uh, in many ways, I feel that that is, sort of righted itself in a way but mm. um there's, there's still god knows there are so many problems in the world today um which probably there weren't then i mean this is the extraordinary thing that it doesn't seem to get better no 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 that's it yeah yeah there's uh i mean it's it's interesting isn't it that, that, that a kind of warning about understanding that you're reclaiming individuality but that's kind of just that's the folly of youth and when you grow up you'll lose that which is yeah. that's still a message of today I found I found it chilling as someone that's not religious. Where before they have the mock battle, you know, Jesus Christ is our commander in chief. Yes, um, that's uh, I'd forgot. Uh, Rewatching it recently, it's sort of before we, we yeah. spoke. It's like it's 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 really chilling that to me that the idea that this is a person with influence over children 
And yes. That, and that's his message. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. And, uh, and Jeffrey Chater, who played the chaplain, mm. um, who apparently is still alive. He's 97 years old and, um, uh, and he, a lovely, lovely man. He was a delightful man. And I know that he hated having to tweak the nipple of jute, um, <laughs> and didn't want to do it. Mm. And, uh, and Lindsay said, no, you must do it. He said, it happened to me. He said, it happened to me. What was, what was the significance of the draw, by the way? You know, where the, where, where you, <laughs> where you have to apologize to him, where he's, yeah. hid, he's hidden uh, in the draw. Well, uh, nobody quite knows. Um, uh, it, it, it's the one, uh, surreal moment in the film that was criticized by, among others, Harold Pinter. Oh, right. uh, apparently Pinter said to Lindsay that it, he'd gone one surreal moment too far, as it were. That was just too much to, to quite take in. Mm. Um, uh, all I know is that uh, the scene was filmed in a, um, an, a room in Knightsbridge. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, the three of us got into a lot of trouble for corpsing because it really was very funny. I mean, Jeffrey Chater arising out of the draw and we, we had hysterics mm. and, um, uh, and Peter Jeffrey was remarkably controlled and, uh, and tried to, uh, <laughs> make us controlled as well. Um, but we had, you know, we had to go up and shake his hand and, um, and it was, <laughs> we had to shoot that several times because at least one of us was corpse on the shake of the hand. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, I don't know. I mean, the it, it, it always gets a big laugh when the headmaster says, um, I take this very seriously. Um, and it's a very clever cut away from the, the, uh, him, Chaplin having been shot, apparently, uh, and quivering in the undergrowth there. Mm. Uh, and I take this very seriously. And it always gets a big laugh um, because of the contrast, I suppose, between, you know, it would be rather as though you were saying, um, the fact that you um, tripped up Jenkins Minor <laughs> in the playground. <laughs> I take this very seriously. <laughs> and yet this is about shooting the chaplain, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that works terribly well. And then it sort of goes on. Um, and, and in a way, I mean, if if he brought the chaplain back, if we discovered that the chaplain was really alive still, mm. um, by him walking in the door, um, I can see that might be a bit pedestrian. I don't know. And so but who on earth had the idea of him coming out of the draw? I do not know. Now, but, but before we finish, it'd be, it'd be remiss for me not to talk about the, uh, the whipping scene, which is, I mean, there's lots of iconic moments in If, but I guess everything about, because it's such a, a tipping point in the movie, the way, the way it's shot in the sense of we're, we're made to wait and, yeah. and endure the 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 threat of the whipping not 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 the pornography of watching you know the the whipping until we have to as it were yes and then and when it goes too far how how did i mean i mean it's a, it's almost like a lock shot isn't it of you you and malcolm yes it is um and and it was intended to be uh from the start mm. um and we were told that we were going to shoot it in one long take mm -hmm. uh in real time and so uh if you remember the three of us come in and we sort of stand waiting and then the the whips come in mm. uh and go in the door into the gym that's right uh and uh once they were inside and of course they really were inside all the timing was done for real uh so when uh i'm i'm uh uh, the second to go in, but where Richard goes in first, uh, and he's called in, and we had to go in, and we had to mime or act out exactly the scenario, yeah. uh, and lean against the thing. Luckily, Richard and I didn't have to endure the actual beating, uh, but uh, Robert Swan, who played Roundtree, did actually come down and there was a, um, uh, I don't know, a mattress or something over the wall bars, which he hit. <laughs> and that was the, that was the noise you heard. Yes, it was done absolutely to time. And then after the four, it's, he it's, said, it's like five, five, seven minutes, isn't it? I suppose. Yes. I'm told the, the, the yes, sequence it is. It's a very, very long sequence. Uh, and we only shot it twice, I think. And I think they ended up using the first take. Um, but, is, is, uh, is, isn't it amazing though? The the, 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 I mean, for a viewer, I mean, it's, I don't know how, how easy it is for yeah. you to translate yourself into the point of view of the viewer, but 
yeah. the 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 imagination that your fuel that fuels that scene is mm. what makes it amazing, not what you see. Yes, no, you're absolutely right, um, and and it's the um, the soundtrack as well because mm. there's very little dialogue. Mm. Um, and indeed, the line that Malcolm comes out with, he's looking through the gap in the door when I'm in there mm. and he says to uh, Richard, oh, Christ, that was a bit low. Um, well, that wasn't in the script. Uh, Malcolm just came out with that right. uh, and, and they kept it in. Uh, but I don't think there's any other. Um, uh, Richard sort of says only four I think when he comes in he sort of whispers it, only, only four, shrugs his shoulder tries to shrug off the whole thing um, and we may have been told we could say that but I think the idea was that we shouldn't say anything and it was uh, made, that made even more menacing the fact that you heard the um, the noise of the actual caning mm. um, uh, but uh, no we loved doing that we, we thoroughly enjoyed doing that that was um, that was great and I remember going in and and then you had to shake Roundtree's hand you had to say thank you Roundtree and then come out and uh, so it was um, very very deliberately done so that uh, although it isn't in the script that Mick um, doesn't wait to be called there's that lovely thing where he flings in the doors open and, and goes in um, with with sort of um, arrogant. Still, <laughs> still wearing his frock coat as well. You, you, still wearing you, his frock you, coat. You yeah, hasn't, hasn't you, taken it off in preparation. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, those ideas I think came on the day. Right. Uh, that, that wasn't in the script, uh, and and they were the sort of things that Malcolm and um, uh, Lindsay would probably work out together yeah. and uh, and they were very much double i mean there's no question that lindsay um idolized malcolm in the same way as he had idolized richard harris on sporting life right um, and he really put him on a pedestal but at the same time he didn't give him a, an easy time um and he really directed him and uh, but uh, one felt that um uh, the, the, the that that relationship was um, very important to the whole making of the film. And it was a very strong relationship. And we were aware that we were, to a certain extent, you know, the also-rans. Uh, but, but we were, no, we, there, was, there was no complaint about that. It was fairly obvious. And when we saw the first rushes, uh, I mean, certainly when I saw uh, the first rushes of Malcolm doing close-up stuff, I mean, it was quite clear that uh, he had it. You know, he really was um destined for great things and th those eyes are, are extraordinary mm. uh, and uh, no he knew what he was doing and uh, and took every advantage of it quite rightly now now it's in, it's interesting from a kind of from a script and a structural point of view is that hence that obviously you you three as the crusaders and, and, and malcolm being the figurehead of the crusaders as it were are mm. the heroes anti-heroes of the movie but in a way i always i find when i rewatch it that that the character, that the minor character of Jude, is is the audience who's lost in this mad world of this school that you couldn't yes. hope to understand. And yeah, because his his evolution is only is like only like highlights, but you 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 see exactly what fitting in is all about through him, don't you? Yes, I think that was a very clever structural device um, of the writing. Mm. Uh, the fact that uh, the, the the narrative. Um, the, the, the main narrative undoubtedly is of three, these three boys rebelling, boom, boom, boom. But in order to get you into, uh, the school and the rhythm of the school and understanding that how, um, archaic or how barbaric the school is, mm. um, they use the notion of a new boy, um, and he leads us in. I think very cleverly. I mean, we do lose sight of him, of course. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you, you you can just about see him occasionally in the Founders' but, Day audience. I was going to say, but you see, that's what I'm saying. You 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 see less and less of him, but you see enough of him to know. That's right. That he's fitted in and just doing what every other pupil's doing, and so that's right. Therefore, that's life's right. life's uneventful compared to obviously the Crusaders, who were going, yep. you know, fuck you, we're gonna, we don't yep. like this anymore. Um, yeah. Well, look, it's been a week. We could probably talk forever on this. I think <laughs> I feel because it's it's such a rich, deep film, and it's uh, it, it must be, it must really make your heart sing to think that you were in it for starters. Um, and now, now you've got filming if by by David Wood yourself, which is out now by the Book Guild Publishing. Is that right? The Book Guild, yes, that's right. Um, 
And available on Amazon. Available <laughs> on Amazon. And, uh, yeah, and, and there's, uh, I'm talking to you now on Tuesday, the 29th of May. Uh, this will go out before the 9th of June, where you're at the, you're, you're at the Cinema Museum with a screening and a Q&A, I think. Um, I I'll put some details in the show notes. But, yeah, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for your time on the Breakfast Podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. Enjoyed it. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.